0: And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old
1: Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 110, the Christmas episode of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, December 20th, 2015. How the Pundit Stole Content It's Christmas time, every marketer in the business liked content a lot, but the pundit, who blogged about social media, did not. The pundit hated content, the whole content market. Now please don't ask why, no one quite knows what sparked it. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right, it could be perhaps that his blog was too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Whatever the reasons, his goal or his heart murmurs, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating content marketers. He had stolen their blogs and their papers and events. He'd packed up their SQLs, MQLs, their presents, their tags and their posts, their emails, audiences engaged. He rode with his load to the tip-top all enraged. Poo-poo to these marketers, he was grinchously humming. They're finding out, no, that no content is forthcoming. They're just waking up. I know what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two. The content marketers will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the pundit, that I simply must hear. So he paused, and the pundit put his hand to his ear. And he did hear a hum rising over the web. It started in low, and then it started to ebb. But it grew again, and it wasn't sad. Why was this sound sounding so orange? It couldn't be so sounds can't be orange. But it was. It was so orange a sound. And now the pundit covered his ears. It was so loud. It came without native. It came without leads. It came without ads or buzzwords or creeds. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the pundit thought of something he hadn't before. Content marketing, he thought, isn't branded ads from a store. Maybe content marketing, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in the business, they say, the pundit's heart, he grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, and the minute he whizzed his load through the bright morning light, and he brought back the content and the blogs and the leads, and on this Christmas day, the pundit himself, the pundit, Carved the roast beast, and to help me carve the roast beast is my friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the who's who of content marketing, Whoville, Mister Joe Polizzi.
0: Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas! That was lovely.
1: Thank you. You you were uh, you were on a roll. This is... <laughs> that one was fun. I, that's one of my favorite Christmas stories of all time. Oh, that might that might have actually topped the Star
0: Wars one from last week. <laughs> but that was good. You you really outdid yourself the last couple well, thank weeks. You. Hand, thank, hand you. Absolutely. thank you, thank you, absolutely. So yeah, this is a, this might be one of the. I know it's not late your time, but this might be one of our later. Recording session. It is it tougher on the holidays.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, like I told you before the show, I'm three glasses of wine in. I've been waiting for your butt. I'm waiting, so I'm um, <laughs> waiting. What is it? It's 10:30 Eastern Time as we record. Yeah, Seven thirty, and I'm three glasses in. Seven thirty, so that tells you where I'm at. <laughs> impressive, yeah. impressive, my son. Uh, you know, the one thing I your have lack to of faith it. in my drinking <laughs> um, disturbs me.
0: Uh, well, I just came. This is the third year in a row we went. Uh, we went to the Straight No Chaser concert as we were talking. Oh, Oh,
1: fantastic. And, that's you know, I love this great. part
0: because a lot of people don't know. They started in, in 2008. They're from Indiana University. Yeah. Uh, but they really uh, started to take off in 2008. And what started it off is their YouTube video on the 12 Days of Christmas. They do a whole spinoff of it. And it went completely viral. And that's how they got their record deal. Is that right? And, oh, yeah. Everything just blew up from there. And they, they take a, a, a session section during every performance and they say please you know get out your cameras uh videotape as much as you want and (laughs) there's a
1: band who gets it yeah
0: oh man they say and post it and tag us and then the intermission they say here's how you can tag us and it's it's it is really nice because then everybody gets their smartphones out and starts videotaping it and following them it's it's really really well done they absolutely get it i wish more uh bands would do that but uh
1: Well, that's gonna. I mean, that feeds right into my rant later in the show. But it's it's so yeah. That's I mean, I do wish that it you know that a lot of uh, music acts, record companies, television companies, entertainment. We you know we often think of that entertainment is sort of so forward leaning, and in many cases, quite frankly, they're one of the most antiquated businesses out there.
0: Though I don't get the no, you know the. I mean, I get the copyright thing, but if you have you know thousands of people there that could be your marketing for you and you basically say no don't market for us right i
1: that's right i just don't i don't right. understand it yeah. but no, no. alas, ala- alas. onto the news alas onto the news we go all right well this comes to us from a website mondaynote.com and the headline is industrial strength branded content and this really – this was an article I, I totally want to get your take on, Joe, but basically because of your background, of course. But on the, the article opens up and says, on the 19th floor of Renzo Plano's – which sounds like a total movie character name, by the way – Renzo Plano, uh, 8th Avenue landmark skyscraper. The New York Times set up an entire division – we talked about this on the show – devoted to producing and commercializing content for its advertisers. The New York Times T-Brand Studio um, has been in existence for uh, now about a year. And uh, after they've started, they have now – the article goes on to explain how the young SVP in charge of advertising innovation oversees now a team of 50 people. And he says there will be 70 uh, in the coming year. And they have a whole range of competencies um, from writing to video to photography to, uh, as they say, a quality assurance person. And here's the interesting thing, and this is where I want to get your take, Joe, is because as he they couldn't confirm this, but the writer says in the piece that the estimates are that they'll do thirty to forty million dollars this year, or more importantly, fifteen to twenty percent of the two hundred million dollars the Times will make this year in digital advertising. That astounded me, quite frankly, because here we are, the Times is really reinventing what it means to do monetized content. I mean, am I wrong here? Well, I, it's
0: what's interesting about that fifteen to twenty percent number is that's high. I mean, and we've talked about this many times on the program where, on average, you see about eight to ten percent of revenues from publishing media companies go to custom content. So right. you can almost say yep. double for the New York Times is double, and then they talk about Wall Street Journal as well, which they're they're estimating at fifteen percent. Uh, that's really high, really fast. So I was surprised that they were – but, but also, I, I, did you catch in the, uh, in the copy itself where they're uh, interviewing Trevor Fellows, who's chief revenue officer for Wall Street Journal? I'm he talk- Trevor
1: Fellows. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. <laughs> oh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't.
0: Sorry. I couldn't you resist. couldn't resist it. But they, they, he says he doesn't want any more than what they're doing as a percentage of revenue. Because well, that makes they, sense, right? Well, they, he basically said if everyone's doing it, it dilutes everything that exactly. they're doing as the Wall Street Journal. So exactly. They really have to be pickier. But the, the, I wanted to get your take on this. He said that really he doesn't want to come out and compete against advertising agencies,
1: but but they ab- absolutely well, don't. of course he says that. I mean, that's I mean, of course he says that as, as, and, and and as well he should right because at fifteen to twenty percent of their revenue he can't compete with the advertising agencies cuz quite frankly i mean they haven't done this yet but the shoe could be on the other foot so he has to make sure that he's you know i mean you know there is there is a there is a constituency that he has to please here you know as we talked about last show right they they serve three masters right
0: well but the why yes i understand you go to new york times you go to wall street journal because you want you know quality storytelling you know journalism in whatever way you want to call right, it, right. as it will. But, but the, uh, the issue is distribution. What they really bring is distribution. Now, I know there's projects that both organizations took that didn't include distribution, like maybe T-Brand Studio is doing something and it's not housed on the New York Times dot com site or the subsite. But really, I mean, we've talked about this many times where if you are a media company, you can go out and say, yeah, we will help you with your strategy. We'll help you with your content creation. But where we really can outdo all the agencies is because we can distribute it for you. And that's I mean, that's hard to beat if you're if you're an agency of any kind, whether it's a content marketing agency or an advertising agency, because they look, we've got your whole solution for you. And it's really seductive, I think, in a lot of ways to put that together because you get you get the content strategy fee if they bake that in but to the content creation fee and then you've got the media spend in addition so it's probably bringing in way more media spend than it would be content creation spend in most cases 'Cause it's so much more expensive.
1: Well that's exactly right. I mean so so there's a couple of things here, right? One is, you know, so and, and, and what I could appreciate about him saying I don't want that as a percentage of revenue to grow is he goes, look, this is this is an agency business, right? It is a services based revenue stream for them and so they don't want to scale it they want to they want to leverage it for what it's good for which is obviously what it's been good for which is providing a differentiation to the distribution right so they can actually say look we can do this better and we can monitor it better and we can actually make sure that we don't screw up our new york times brand with crappy creative quite frankly or creative that doesn't work for our you know so they they get the best of both worlds they get to control it you know mold and merge and and sort of meld the the editorial and and content creation strategy that they're creating for the distribution that they will obviously be differentiated on but they don't have to rely solely on that because they to your point they have the distribution behind them and so they have to the the this I, we talked about this a couple of shows ago when I when I told that story about how I I talked to that VP at a very large Madison Avenue agency, and I said I said exactly this I guessed at the time that somebody like the Wall Street Journal's ad unit um, or excuse me the creative unit um, or the New York Times' T Brand Studios or Conde Nast Studios would get into that. Th- Thirty to fifty million dollar range of revenue, and they, of course, said to me, "That's peanuts, right? That's peanuts to an agency when they get, you know, a four hundred or five hundred million dollar uh, media buy." I said, "But here's the thing: Why aren't you that agency, right? Why, why haven't they? Why haven't the big agencies made deals with these publishers to become the in-house agencies for these publishers?" And I understand there's a conflict of interest thing there, of course, but the 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 fact is is that they are drinking their milkshake they the they are there is a real risk of the Madison Avenue among other things by the way but there's a real risk that the Madison Ave, Avenue agencies are going to completely disregard this whole disruption and quite frankly find themselves on the outside looking in at most of these kinds of projects which will be increasing in size there there's no doubt that they'll be increasing in size the only question is how much well
0: you and we we had what was it, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, you and I had a couple conversations with some very large uh, traditional agencies that yeah. the, pro- the process of this is much different. I mean, they're, you could even make a case for in some of these larger creative agencies, media buying agencies, that they're
1: behind the brands and Absol- figuring absolutely. out. Absolutely. They don't know how to do it, right? The cre- Forever, the creatives have owned the content, which you know, and we use content there in quotes because it's ostensibly been the creative of ad yeah. assets, and so now you've got well, who should own content as a journalistic property and or storytelling property? Should it be a subject matter expert? Should it be a strategist? Should it be a writer or a journalist? Or should and the creatives are quite freak, they're just freaking out. They're going, "This, wait a minute, we own the con- we create the creative." and then you've got that so you've got the creative director fighting with the the internal strategy people with the media people and there's a there's a lot of you know i mean my rant last week was about the whole publicist sort of shake up and reorganization not that this is part of that but there's there's real there's real disruption going on in the agency world right now and they do not have this figured out do you think that i mean it's it's odd that a,
0: a division of these uh, media companies would say, no, they're, they're going to turn away business. That's essentially what the article says that we were going to turn away some business because we don't want it to be a larger percentage of the overall revenue stream. Do, do you think that they spin these off because you've, you're competing against your, your Voxes, your vices, your Huffington post uh, your buzzfeed where, you know, 90% of that revenue is native in quotes, if you will. I mean, do you think that they're just going to leave it on the side or do they say oh well, maybe we just spin this off over here and create a separate business unit
1: i i don't know i don't know the answer to that question i suspect the latter yeah i suspect i suspect what they'll do is is create a separate business unit but here's the thing I get why he doesn't want to scale this too fast. I get why they don't want to scale. I mean and, and you know, look, there's a certain amount of spin in that statement, right? That we're oh, we're turning away business, right? Like, exactly. I, you know, I mean I get that, right? It's a limited opportunity. It's <laughs> exactly. exactly. I would right. yeah, it's you'd say the it's same, it's same thing. Extremely Absolutely. smart. But I also get that if it's true, why they would do it, why they would turn away business, because it's you know, there is one of the values, one of the core values to this is the main the maintenance of the quality right the core value to the new york times here is the maintenance of the quality of the content that they're putting forth to their readers and so for them it's just as much about maintaining that ability to maintain that quality instead of you know because otherwise quite frankly they might as well outsource it to one of the you know they might as well go well we'll hire one of the madison avenue agencies to give it to us well no that's only just you know setting yourself up to you know launder money basically but it's really just about you know the quality. It's as much about the quality as it is about the innovative revenue model. For well, the, I, the I one believe. thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that concerns me is that, and I don't know, if, I don't know if you have thought about it this way, but if I'm concerned that it's so seductive, uh, because it is a much easier road to take, <clears throat> and we've talked about, hey, you're stealing audience and you're you're getting you're working with with great journalists it's fantastic and let's go this direction because it's easier than investing into a content marketing yes. approach yes so the there is a
1: risk to the brand here for yeah sure. that's what I, that's
0: that's exactly what i'm thinking so it's yeah. like okay well we can do this and yeah we'll do some content marketing let's get some that's content. Right. we'll do the native thing and they're going to hold back on a full content marketing approach, which is a little bit more risky and much more different, and of course a cultural change. And when they, let's say a year or two from now, they're gonna like, oh my God, we've been basically buying advertising in the form of content for all these years, and we haven't been able to transform ourselves into building an audience over time, and that's where the real asset is. It's,
1: it's, It's such a great point. Not building your house on rented land also means not building your house on a rented agency either. Right, So it's not just where you distribute the content that you build your house. It's also where you build the institutional knowledge to tell your story. And so it's why we always recommend, if we can, look, the strategy, the owning, owning of the story, the ability to tell that story, that has to be an institutional muscle for the brand in order for it to scale and in order for it to become something that is core and a core competency for the business. Yes, execution, yes elements of execution and design of course you'll always outsource bits of that but but yeah it it it's it's a great point which is don't brands can't be take the easy way out here and say oh well we'll just have a publication take care of it for us well that's where
0: i think if you're going to invest in native you should use it as a play to attract
1: attention to your own yes, property that's right but that's they're not exactly but most right. of these examples that we're looking at are not doing no, that that's right that's right. That's where that's where the, the the pundit stands up on his hill and says the native and all of that. Boo hoo, boo hoo. The content mock said.
0: Sir. <laughs> All right. right, let's
1: let's move on to the next yeah. story, shall we? So this one comes to us courtesy of Mashable which is um, usually your first, uh, your first indication that it's not going to be a great marketing article. Oh, did I say that out loud? Anyway, so uh, Mashable.com, and it's an article by, actually by someone who's very thoughtful in the industry, Shafqat Islam, who is, of course, the CEO of NewsCred. And it's his 2016 content marketing predictions in Mashable. And as he opens up his post and says, In 2015, we reached peak content marketing. Even Gartner, I'm going to say Joe Polizzi, actually, but he says even Gartner has content marketing entering the trough of disillusionment. That means we're going to be suffering from the hangover as things get real, he says. Marketers' tenacity to just stick with the game plan will be tested, and we'll see some Me Too content marketing efforts stutter and stop. Then he goes on to list a few, um, a number of recommendations and or predictions, um, a number of which I was like, this is really good. I, I, I don't know. What did you think about these predictions? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I like the you know they give Gartner all
0: the credit on that one, which is mm. fine. I'm okay. not like I, I'm upset or anything about it. I'm not bitter about it. <laughs>
1: I'm not bitter at all about it. It was only you. Was only stood up at content marketing world and actually introduced that whole idea. <laughs>
0: it's all good. Wait, yeah. hold on. Right. I need. Uh, no, taking, no, I need I'm to take you.
1: a moment here. Take a moment. No, actually, <laughs> sip a wine. Good. All right. Now, all right. moving um, on. Yeah,
0: I, I, I like a couple of these. Um, number three. Uh, well content will come to life
1: It's a cool one uh, yeah
0: is is interesting but it's probably the one there look at it says the written word and visuals aren't going anywhere but static content will start to be replaced by more interactive and immersive experiences i i do agree with that but i don't want people to take that and think that there's not opportunity in static content there is there is, it w- in, there's, there's probably as much opportunity in textual content as there's been at any time. Um, you just have to be consistent with it. Depending on which platform you're going to use and and which content type you're going to focus on. So somebody
1: asked I, me, somebody asked me in an interview. I mean, it's that time of year, of course. And they asked me, "What is the most innovative content channel that nobody's doing right now?" And I said, "Print." I said, "It's print." I, but nobody's listening. She <laughs> <to us. laughs>
0: well, We have a few listeners. We well, there's a few. Yeah. Yes. It, yes. It's, it's happy. I'm still upset about the whole pineapple thing.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm from
0: Airbnb yeah. last week. So yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, but number five, I love. Probably marketers will accept that they can't and shouldn't do it all. And I think that's where you and I are seeing this. You get marketers that are overwhelmed. They feel they have to be in every platform. They have to do everything. They've got to be on God help us all Snapchat and everything else. And you simply don't have to do that. And that's when I even, you know, I've done a lot of small business training and workshops recently, and they do. They come in overwhelmed. They're like, oh, my customers are everywhere, and what do I I I can't scale up to do all this stuff. And I said, don't. Strategy is right. about saying exactly. no. No, right. Say no to things. Go reach the Michael Porter, yeah. Yeah, choose what makes the most sense. Uh, for you and your organization and your, your overall revenue goals. And so I, I love that one. And then the last one that, that I love, and then I want to get your take, is sure. number nine, focus will shift from engagement to goal-based outcomes. And I can only say I hope.
1: Yeah, I hope I so hope. too.
0: It's like the end of Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I hope. I hope. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Andy Dufresne. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm <laughs> Dufresne. do Dufresne. I'm, I'm hoping. A- hope. I'm hoping that is there any one of these? I mean, I know there was a lot on experience here which I'm sure you were digging, but well, of there, course, as one? you
1: might expect, number four, the customer yeah. experience will be fueled by content. you know I mean that is the heart of uh Carl and my book um, he says basically over the last five years, content marketing has matured, and content itself is now the fuel that powers the entire marketing engine. This is something that I you know i mean you heard me say well at least six times in the in the masterclass series which is you know as we've you know as we've watched product development get enhanced with content everything from You know, the Starwood app that opens our door to our, you know, our room now and also gives us information and also provides an experience about what travel and leisure is to the John Deere connected farm, you know, applications that are getting built, which are content driven applications that, you know, show you what your tractor is doing and what your farm is doing, you know, so product development is being enhanced with customer experiences that are content driven and absolutely the opportunity and the risk exists on the marketing side of that funnel to create those same kind of content driven experiences that drive the marketing and customer experience at the top of the funnel as well. So, and if we don't, we're just missing it, you know. That's that's mm-hmm. the most powerful thing to me is how pronounced the product development is with content and content driven experiences. And why we're in some cases still trying to make a business case for why it, content should be used during the marketing experience.
0: You know, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not gonna no spoilers. I'm not gonna give anything away. But as yeah. you know, I've already seen Star Wars twice. I do. This, this be be for,
1: very careful here, my I'm friend. I'm not gonna
0: give anything away, but I did use my AMC app, which, by the way, AMC is <clears throat> has has made the transformation from the worst theater chain to the best theater chain
1: oh I'd dude no you at. have not have you been to an arc light have you been no. to an arc light okay no. then then you then you do they then have, you know not what of what you speak okay so i have to yeah. do that but i have
0: to but they so let's just say they've improved a thousand percent okay from what right. they used yeah. to be you know you have the the wonder they they put less seats in the auditoriums yeah they they're all they're big cushy the, as cushy as you can possibly imagine seating and they fold all the way they they, uh, they go all the way back and it's it's fantastic. You can, can you make a reservation? Like do you reserve your seats? Reserve yeah, you reserve the okay. seats. Okay. All right. So well exactly I'm there. now I'm Now app. I'm with you. Now that's, you can that's do it right. Yeah. yeah, you can do it right on your app and everything. But they integrated, you know the app that Jay Bear always talked about called Run P? Yes. You know yes. that one? Yes. So basically Run P is the app where
1: they've integrated figure, that into the app? they
0: Exactly. So Run P oh, is the app that that will. Uh, that's
1: so, pretty good. So you, I yeah. may have to actually retract my statement.
0: Actually. Well, so if you, for those of you that don't know Run P, so it's an app, and you can find out exactly when in the movie is a good time to go run and pee. Uh, and they will, you know, they they basically will buzz you or text you or whatever, and say, "Okay, now's the time. You have four minutes, uh, and then when you come back, it will tell you exactly what you missed, which is." awesome yeah no it's great and but the but it integrated right into that amc experience and i'm like ah good for amc that's That's smart that that is
1: really smart that is really really smart but
0: the 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 one that we should probably really talk to which is maybe the most important one i want to get your take on so number 10 the last one cmos and ceos will work more closely with Together, but with CFOs as well. Now, this is an interesting statement. He says, content marketing will help marketing finally become a profit center and not a cost center. CFOs around the world will, will rejoice. I think it's not CMOs and CEOs. I think it's CMOs and CFOs will really work closely together. Yes. I think it's not CEOs. CEOs, are, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Yes. But I think CFOs and I'm hoping are now-
1: hoping Sha- I mean, I'm hoping Shafkat took some of... I mean, that's... That's what the book is about. I mean, obviously, that's what experience is, is about, is, you know, is our our BHAG, you know, when Carl and I wrote this book, our BHAG, the sort of BHAG that we set, our big, hairy, audacious goal that we set out was we believe marketing can be a profit center instead of just a cost center. And, I mean, that's what we talked about. The masterclass is what we've been talking about at Content Marketing yeah. World is what we've been talking about for a long time, is that... Content marketing is truly what provides a return on investment that can transform marketing into that profit center. I don't know if that's what Shafkat is talking about here, but I absolutely absolutely believe that, and I would agree with you in sort of refining that to say – I don't think CEOs are I mean one of the things we talked about last week that is still so true is how we still think in short-term incremental businesses think in short-term increments you know quarterly or <clears throat> at most you know every 6 months two quarters bi-quarters or semi-quarters or whatever it is and so the idea here is is that CFOs and CMOs are going to have to look to evolve and adapt to new modes of when our content can actually generate revenue and or other values to the business that may not quite frankly fit neatly into a marketing expenditure bucket.
0: Uh, I need some clarification. Are you talking about the must-read book for 2016 experiences? Yes. Is this the seventh era of marketing? <laughs> is that – <laughs> is is that the one you're talking? About? I just want to I just yes, want to clarify. That is the book. That is, is, that, the, book. That is yes. the book. Thank oh, you
1: very much. That, if you, very anyone
0: has not read that book, you're you very to, kind. You have to read that book. And I'm I'm I heard the audiobook is actually in
1: process. Yes, it's working. I'm working on it. I'm wor- I'm working on it. In <laughs> I'm between glasses keep of you. in I'm between glasses of wine, you, yeah. I'm recording the book. And we're relaunching the website and there's a whole bunch of new stuff coming, so yes, it's 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 on its way. Well,
0: you got to and I told you this the other day, and this is just a good piece of information for people out there, uh, Content Inc, my book, is selling more audio versions than ebooks and print versions, which blows me away every time. Wow, like, that, that,
1: that's a thing. And right. it is It's a thing. It's, I, I know and I, 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 want I to know it's a enjoy thing. that thing. I want to enjoy that thing too. I need to, I need to go do the thing before I can enjoy the thing. So I'm going to do the thing before I go enjoy it. And with that, we'll move on to the next story.
0: Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome.
1: All right. right. Now, (laughs) our last story of our show uh, this week comes to us um, via uh, SignalVoice.com. Or excuse me, SignalNoise.com, I should say. And it is Signal versus Noise comes as moving to medium because it's moving to medium. This comes to us, by the way, big hat tip here to Carmen Hill who pointed us out to this post which was basically the signal versus noise blog. If you don't or aren't familiar with it, um, it's 37 signals. So 37 signals was the company that Jason Freed and company founded and they made a, a little product called Basecamp, which of course everybody loves. The company is now called Basecamp and they've not they don't go by the 37 signals um, uh, nom- name anymore, but now they have their signal versus noise blog and they've had it forever this is a post by David uh, I'm going to mess up his name but it's Heinemeier Hansen I believe, DHH is how he usually goes online um, the creator of Ruby on Rails, he's the CTO at Basecamp and he's one of the major bloggers obviously at Signal versus Noise and so He basically opens up his post and says, when Jason Freed a few months ago suggested we should start posting articles on Medium, I was skeptical. What possible gain could we have from sharing our stories on someone else's platform rather than our 15-year-old blog? Well, it turns out quite a lot. He then goes on to make four basic arguments about why they're moving their owned media blog over to Medium. And before I go off on a bit of a rant here, what did you think about this, Joe?
0: Well, my uh, <laughs> my thoughts are on several levels. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! All
1: right, let's peel back all, the layers of this wonderful well, cake here. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah, the Signal V Noise blog that this comes from is actually on the Medium platform. Yes, so that's this right. Is, this is a Medium blog that we're talking about. That's right correct. Now. Um, the the question that Jason asks: Should we start posting on Medium? Is different than should we have our entire blogging property? On Medium, right, and that's what they did. They didn't just say because that—that's what I think. It's great if they said, "Look, Medium could be a really good platform for us to build our audience there, and then we can start to build subscribers." Let's say on our own platform or whatever, and that's—that's that's fine. Uh, but they are actually all in on the Medium platform, and they make a couple. And I—I I, want to get your take on this because I—I actually I've seen the emails back and forth <laughs> with you and Carmen, which the one you sent was beautiful, but it, it's basically. If Medium continues to stay without advertising, and if they continue to do things exactly the way that they're doing, everything will be fantastic. But my question is, when has any platform <laughs> right, stayed exactly. the same?
1: Exactly. Is this,
0: the when same, has that made,
1: ever been true? Yeah. <laughs> the, it's,
0: it's, the, the blog post that we're reading now, that we're talking about on this podcast, is talking about things that are not going to be true in five years here's a funny two
1: years yeah here's a funny thing so my trainer so i work out with a trainer because if i didn't work out with a trainer i wouldn't work out so let's be let's just be perfectly frank (laughs) and so my trainer calls me up and he says i can't make i can't make our appointment today i'm i have food poisoning i said food poisoning what the heck happened man and he goes well i ate at chipotle and i'm like do, oh, do, I said, do you read then do you watch the news? I mean are you are you that dumb? and I mean, you know, it's, it's almost the same reaction I had when I read this. It's like are are you kidding me? I mean, do you re, do you keep up with what's going on in the online world? You know, um yeah, I mean his his so he has four arguments um which I think are relatively weak to be honest. Now, if they I mean look, I mean I you know no harm, no foul. You want to move your blog to Medium? Yeah, do it. Go yeah. right ahead. We don't go we don't, knock right. yourself out. Go right It'll ahead. be great. But here's why I don't want you, the, the wonderful listeners of this show, to do this. The first argument is it's got a beautiful interface. It absolutely does. Medium is a gorgeous interface, but yeah, so does WordPress. And by the way, if there isn't already a Medium sort of duplicate WordPress theme, there will be within there the next is. twenty minutes, yeah. right? There, I'm sure there, there, is. There, is. there is. So that's so that argument is gone for me. Two cross that out. He says there's a big audience already there. Um, yes. So is there on so why not move your audience to Facebook? Why not move it to Twitter? I mean, there's bigger audiences there, but why would you build there two and, and and his excuse or his reason is well because we had two posts there and they went viral it's like yeah remember who you are there, but one or two posts going viral does not a successful platform make um three his argument is we don't have time to build our own awesome blog that one just baffles baffles me to no end it's like really you don't have time to maintain wordpress i mean Come on! I mean, it really it, it, that is not. I, I don't even buy that for a minute. And then fourth, the, and probably the one you're really getting to is Medium has promised they won't mess things up or do things that are untoward to the people. I who love are that, there. and we believe that, and we believe of them. course. <laughs> of There's course no social believe.
0: platform that has ever let right. us down.
1: Never. Never. The social (laughs) platforms have always sort of kept up to their end of the bargain and never monetized at the expense of the users that are using the free platform. That's never happened. (laughs) Have you been to Chipotle recently? Okay. Anyway. but No, I love it.
0: We should read this. It's important because this will come back at some point. By committing to never showing advertisement unless the publisher consents, we can remain with Basecamp as the sole commercial sponsor of Signal v. Noise. How long is that going to last, Robert? Yeah, I mean seriously. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean. S- at some point, somebody at Medium is going to say, "You know what? We need some money. We need some. We need some <laughs> exactly. revenue." Remember we when need Facebook needed revenue? <laughs> and and all your, all your posts were these great? guys are
1: truly pre-revenue in that Silicon Valley
0: kind of. Oh, we're pre-revenue. At some man. point, they all all these companies get to a point where the board is saying, "You know what?" You know, I'm am sick of sitting through these board meetings and just seeing a loss. Let's go get some money. Let's, yeah, let's, let's go let's, do. You know that green let's be stuff a business. We should go make some of that, and <laughs> and then they're gonna have to do it, and then they're gonna come back and say, you know, I know, we I know, said, we said that, I know we said that, but we didn't. We you know, pivoted. That, we're pivoting. We That's did. what we're
1: doing. It's, we're pivoting.
0: This is a this is important because we can add value and all this other stuff and we are going to make this change because it's important to the user. Yeah, I can tell you, I can almost write it right now.
1: Yeah, it's going to happen. So anyway, I, you know, it's basically <laughs> ad nauseum. We don't recommend that you do this if this uh, if that isn't clear.
0: <laughs> but see, my 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 thought was. You can have a channel strategy. Of course you can. Medium can can be part of that. You could have a whole distinct message over here to Medium, and you could still have an amazing blog. You could still work with both of them. And here's the thing. A media company would never do this. That's like, say, New York Times. Even Washington Post that posts everything – in even their you know, their cousins' blogs, everything they can get their hands on <laughs> goes on Facebook. Right. Whatever they can do, they still have WashingtonPost.com. Right. Exactly. they're not gonna say, Yeah, you know what, we don't need that anymore because uh, Facebook promises they're gonna show our stuff. And Zed Zuckerberg, he's a good dude. I right. like him. <laughs> let's just let's just put it all into his hands. Let's just take our business model completely out of our hands. How about we do that?
1: Okay. Here's 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 a twenty six here's a twenty here's a, a twenty sixteen prediction twenty sixteen we're not even on the predictions yet but but I'm gonna make one anyway twenty sixteen prediction the by the time this time next year um, we are going to hear about Medium doing advertising and many of the blogs like whether or not it's signal versus noise or not but many of the blogs like signal versus noise that moved over here are going to be. Appalled and shocked that they're going to have to move their blog off of Medium now because of the advertising thing. I will be – I'll be shocked. (laughs) I'll be appalled and shocked. Appalled and shocked. exactly. Shock and appall. All right. There we go. So, hey, we got to – speaking of shocking and appalling, um, we have a wonderful sponsor that we should talk about, and it's shocking and appalling that we haven't talked about them yet. I know. And it's – I can't believe we waited this long. I've been –
0: very excited about talking about this. All right, again, we want to thank Wyden as our sponsor of this oh, old marketing Wyden. this week. I love Wyden. Uh, visual storytelling. It's on yeah. this week. And you know what? Did you know, Robert, that visual storytelling <laughs> takes a village? <laughs> Did you know this? Have you written, have I've you heard written, it
1: somewhere. Have you I've, ever written that? Before? I've 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 <clears> typed <throat> that. I Did have you? typed that sentence. Yes. Did you know
0: that in most businesses, the creation of rich media content is not a scalable process? I don't know if you maybe I, maybe I've you, heard maybe that, maybe that somewhere. Maybe that's in experiences. Too, yeah. The book. I don't know whether your organization is using in-house teams, agencies, or freelancers to create these assets. Creative efforts seem to be more disparate, <clears> ad hoc, and siloed than ever before. <laughs> to put it simply, great visual storytelling takes a village. Yes, it does. But in that its village, entirety, it does. it does. In its <laughs> entirety, but. That village seems to be more and more spread out. So what what are we to do? This new amazing white paper from Wyden explains how to transform your organization into an efficient community that can work together to streamline critical creative processes. You can download this white paper written by some guy, some dude, <laughs> some, some dude, dude named Robert some Rose. Dude. Yeah, uh, called uh, it's called visual storytelling, but it's really about the the four C's, and the four C's are. Collaborate- it actually came out pretty good.
1: I have to say, this it paper did. came out pretty. It good. did
0: collaborate, mm-hmm. customize, communicate, and connect. Great visual to- storytelling takes a village. You can download it at bit.ly/widen-dash-visual-dash-storytelling. slash That's bit.ly/widen-dash-visual-dash-storytelling, or you can go to thisoldmarketing.com. Click on the link and download it post-haste.
1: <laughs> it came out pretty good, I have to it say. Did. And, 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 you know, here's the thing. Here's pretty. the thing. Having dealt with so many organizations this year with digital asset management as its core issue. I mean, you know, even when we talk, earlier in the show about how content marketing is evolving and 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 is becoming you know we're trying to make it a profit center and we're trying to do interesting things and build business cases at the heart of that is managing the content managing these rich media assets that you have and quite frankly most businesses really struggle with this so it's um it's it it was a fun project to do for for sure yeah.
0: I think that yeah. well, it's interesting as content marketing grows and it, it continues to be siloed how much digital asset management has become much yeah. more important. Yeah. And this, so we're going yeah. to see that grow. So well, that'll be with our predictions next year. we have be all about medium.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and this. digital asset. Management. Exactly. All right. Now it is for time for your favorite part of the show, folks. It is our Rants and Raves section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that Makes us feel like the Grinch standing up on top of the hill looking down upon Whoville or makes us feel like, who's it, Cindy Lou Who on Christmas morning when she gets her roast beast. Um, so let's see. I guess I have um, the uh, Rants and Wraiths first because I have this old marketing. Is that right? Yeah, that's that right. Is, that is correct, sir. All right. Well, I have, I guess what it's called, I guess you'd call this a rant um, it is not a rant on the article, but it is a it is a rant on one of the opinions in the article. So the article that we'll link to um, comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. And the headline of it is A Glut of Scripted Television Troubles Hollywood. And this one just, Joe, this one just got my goat. I was just like, are you kidding me? Cause, I mean, it was, anyway. Ooh, let's so, hear it. So it opens up by saying there was a record 409 scripted television shows on broadcast, cable, and streaming services this year, according to research done by FX Networks. And so FX Networks is sort of at the heart of this whole thing here. They were the ones interviewed. They're the ones put out this research study, et cetera, et cetera. They say the rise in scripted shows has been both a blessing and a curse for the TV industry and viewers. On one hand, more shows means more opportunities for actors and writers um, and more choice for TV fans. But they say. And FX says it makes it really hard for television to break through the clutter. Ratings at the broadcast networks and many big cable channels are down this year because of the fragmentation of the viewing audience. And FX chief executive, John Landgraf, has bemoaned the growth in scripted content, saying there's not enough creative talent to manage. And he basically spends the rest of the article talking about how, oh, how woe is it's hard to be a television network these days because it's You know, finding talent is difficult, and because there's audiences are down, and because the budgets are down, and blah blah blah. And here's so this is to me, this is such a perfect metaphor for where we are with content marketing in the business and this whole content shock thing and all that kind of stuff. Which is, pardon my language, is bullshit. It's it's just so from the consumer. Now I'm just going to talk about television here for a second, but I'll tie in content marketing at the end of this. So from the consumer's perspective, and and by the way. I have many friends in the business, I'm from the business, and so I have some feelings and sort of touch points in terms of what's going actually on in television. And so from the consumers, and I will also argue a business perspective, television is going through its biggest renaissance maybe ever. The glut, of course, is there and it's from these disruptive investments coming from Netflix and Hulu and YouTube and Amazon and Apple and every other sort of disruptive streaming service that's out there sort of adding to the fragmentation of audiences across multiple platforms, inclusive of mobile, of course. But here's the thing the new innovations that are going on here in the way that content is distributed and the a- and the opportunities that businesses have to to distribute what we would think of as television content has enabled stuff like binge watching which has become the norm, really, and offered new ways to offer really interesting long-form content. And back in the 80s and 90s, when we were talking about must-see TV, the thing was you couldn't tell. The reason that television sucked so bad in the 80s and 90s was you couldn't tell complex stories because everything had to be wrapped up within one or two little episodes. So if you look back at the hit TV shows of the 80s and even early 90s, all of them were sitcoms or basically procedurals where everything was wrapped up in a single episode because you couldn't you couldn't stand to spend three or four episodes building a character arc and do really interesting, complex, or controversial things. Well, this disruption has enabled all of that. And so all of the great content that we're seeing these days is basically because of the new distribution models that are available now. We can spend time in doing this. And here's the thing – These innovative companies, what they're recognizing is that a small, passionate audience into a niche audience, into a niche, very focused audience, is actually more valuable to advertisers and more valuable from a monetization, sharing, getting publicity about the show, getting basically people to do something and take action on the show than the broader audience is ever worth. And of course, we can't argue. TV audiences are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. That's the way it's going. With more ways to consume content, more ways to get online online, Audiences will continue to fragment and networks will continue to grow on which we can consume that content. What's missing from this article and I, I, what's really missing from the opinion of this CEO is the opportunity that this provides. And this is where I want to bring it back to, to, to marketing for a minute here. Because to for television, to create focused, niche-oriented content that can speak passionately to these audiences, that's where we get something like Jessica Jones that can coexist with the Beverly Hills Housewives, that can coexist with Breaking Bad and can coexist with Orange is the New Black and on and on and on. We can get really focused audiences to really get passionate about shows they love. So now maybe instead of syndication you know, where you get to 100 episodes, well, maybe the way that we content gets reused and repurposed is we get reboots like Fuller House or sequels like you know, The Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad or those kinds of things or where series grow up to be movies themselves like what Entourage did or where film ser- series like Star Trek now become new TV series, which is, by the way, going to be on CBS's new all-access thing where they're going to have streaming um, across different platforms – Anyway, not to get off on a, a, a tangent there, the whole plethora of content in TV is just like where we're at in marketing. It has, it has nothing to do with the amount of content and everything to do with the opportunity to create something remarkable. We are in a disruptive space and a disruptive age, and the opportunity is high. We are the ones who can do something interesting where an audience that we care about will gather to consume it, or we can be as... You know, just bemoan the fact that life is moving on and oh, it's so hard to be in our business these days. But as Clayton Christensen says, about disruption, it's like gravity. You may hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care. We make the content and therefore the opportunities that come out of it. Anyway, that's the end of my rant. Boo-hoo. boo-hoo. Boo-hoo, said the content <laughs> marketers. Boo-hoo.
0: Yeah, thanks. Now I have to put on the language settings on the iTunes Yeah, sorry Podcast. about that. Yeah, That's okay. You're very passionate about it. So that I, one got me up in so, arms.
1: I was just like, come did. on, this is the best time for television content ever. I mean, I can't, I can't remember a time in history when I've been so excited about what's going on from scripted, television what would be classically called television shows but it's just scripted drama or scripted comedy it's just great stuff happening it's a creative renaissance they should call you don't they know you're hollywood <laughs> that's what i call yeah. you yeah
0: it's your calling. next book nobody's calling right. me so uh mine and actually i i need your help with this one so i'm All i right. wanted to do uh, a, a little rave here on our eight <clears> it's, it was hard to believe that this year was our eighth year of our annual content marketing predictions, by far and away the longest running predictions about content marketing. You know, everybody has predictions these days, but we've had them for eight years. And remember that first year, nobody even knew what we, the heck we were talking about. So um, we had a great post that just came out, what content marketing will look like in 2016, 40 plus predictions, including both of ours. Uh, and many, many other people, and I think this one was probably our best one, simply because we limited it to the people that we really wanted their take, not just everyone, uh, and, and to give predictions like we normally did. Thanks to marketing AI for making this possible. But Absolutely. I wanted to run my three predictions by you and get your take and see if you agreed with me. Okay, you, you ready? Yeah. Ready yeah. for this? No, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I have three. I wrote it. these. I wrote these about 45 days ago. Um, so here, here we go and see, if, uh, see what you think. So number one, uh, why we, while we will see shining examples of content marketing magic in action, the sheer majority of brands will continue to crash and burn with their content creation and distribution efforts. Simply put, most brands resist telling a truly differentiated story, and even those that do aren't consistent or patient enough to build loyal audiences over time. What do you think about that one?
1: Say the first part again. I, don't, uh, the, I said basically while we
0: will see some amazing examples over the next year, the majority will continue not to be successful because first, they're not telling a different story. And second, they're not consistent enough
1: Yes, with their delivery. Ag- agreed 100%. Agreed 100%. We will – the trough of disillusionment continues. Will continue. And and the ones that emerge out of it will be the ones that – I mean, and you and I know of a a couple, quite frankly – You know, smaller, more nimble organizations and a couple of larger ones, too, I should be fair, that have emailed us privately and said, I'm just starting to get this track. I'm just starting to get the traction to do this the right way. And I think I think by the end of next year, we'll have something really worth sharing.
0: Yeah, we actually are starting to see I mean we can't yeah. share some of these yet, but we're really starting to see some amazing examples. Yeah. But again, it's those that but most stick won't, with right. it?
1: But most they, will struggle most will still struggle. And a lot of it I think has to do with that branded content, native ad sort of confusion, which again, I'm not I'm not sort of deprecating down native ads or branded content. They have their purpose, but that confusion of where to make the ask for the sale will become it will still confuse things in 2016 all right well well speaking of native advertising let's go okay let's let's go to prediction two let's go to number two let's go to number two
0: While some media companies, a la the Wall Street Journal of the New York Times, it's funny, we just talked about them, will find their footing with sponsored content slash native advertising, a few other enterprise media brands will be decimated by their lack of control over native advertising, which will kill their credibility and, in some cases, a deficit from which they will never fully recover.
1: Yes, 100%, 100%. I'd even go further than that. I'll... I'll predict one major media player has a huge blow up next year, to the to almost to the destruction of the company. I think that we. I I can't say who it is.
0: I think that we'll talk off the air. I think yours and mine are this. I totally agree with that. And I have one particular brand in mind with that.
1: (laughs) I do too. I know exactly. (laughs) Okay, good. I think I know you're talking. Don't say. Don't say. We're not going to say it, it, folks. Don't say the hotel.
0: We have we. we have friends there, probably. Yes. yes. Okay. So you agree with that. I didn't think you would agree like wholeheartedly to these, but yeah. maybe we must be drinking the same uh, wine. Yeah, well, I'm, like, I'm, I'm now done with my third glass of wine. Right. So so here's here's the other one. And I I have a feeling you're not going to 100% agree with this. All right. One, here you go. Here's the last one. This will finally be the year when large brands consider purchasing media platforms and begin to set up the infrastructure to make these purchases possible. Media acquisitions by brands will start in the B2B arena, where large manufacturers like GE will purchase niche or niche, depending on which part of the world you're coming from, content sites with loyal audience, and so the buy versus build scenario is in play. This momentum will continue in 2017 when Apple will buy Disney at last bringing together Steve Jobs two greatest creations Apple and Pixar. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, all but the last four sentences of that Come on, I'm, I'm, in Come one, on. yeah, I'm I'm in one Yeah. I'm I am in 100% agreement except for the last four sentences. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. Oh, get get it's, over it's yourself on. It's not it's happening. on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> it is on i but you happening. but you agree with the first. I part, do, right? I do. I you know obviously there are some there's some there's some wiggle room in there in terms of what does a movement make you know how many, but I think I think we're going to start seeing some serious. I mean, look, it, it was quite under the radar um, in the B two B space, uh, but the you know when United Technologies, uh, excuse me, Arrow Arrow Technologies bought United Publishing. Um, that I mean, that was a that was I had to think that's a that's a pretty big deal. That I mean, was way both, under the radar because yeah. I found out of
0: I mean I'm usually up on this stuff. Yeah, and I found out from you on it, and I'm like, man,
1: that's an awesome story. Yeah, oh, and yeah. then
0: you've got the what you've got uh, Alibaba just purchased yeah, the, the newspaper Chinese newspaper. Yeah. So it's it's happening. It's we a couple more. I think one or two. Somebody will make examples. news
1: out of this. yeah. somebody's going to make news with something.
0: Well, that's the thing. Press press isn't even sniffing at this, and they, they think it's uh, – no, well, that's the thing. On the brand side, nobody's even considering this. Right. The, that's the thing that just kills me. That's right. Like that is this is a standard operating procedure in a media company. Before you launch a media brand, you always look to see, should we purchase one that's already existing?
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a standard process,
0: right. but nobody does it. We're like, oh, we're going to do a blog. We're going to do some content. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's gonna I be like, fantastic I like
1: their accent they're, they're, <laughs> it's,
0: they're gonna go be, blog. it's gonna be good we're gonna <laughs> dig some gold Go gold that gold but yeah I mean but it's just anyways but then but then it's not gonna happen in 2016 but 17 is when Apple yeah. will buy will buy Disney no that is not happening that
1: is not that is not happening <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. I uh, could right. I could be wrong, but I'm not.
0: Uh, right. Anyway, so no, I, we'll put no. the link in the in the show notes. Check out the predictions piece. It really is fan you've you made a couple decent ones too. Yeah. But, oh thank, you. Yeah. thank <laughs> you.
1: Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. It's thank it's a, it. a great you know, great storytelling takes a village. All right. All right. So here we go. <laughs> this old marketing. Um, is where we talk about, of course, the namesake of the show. And I have this old marketing. So here, this this, this one might be my favorite. I, I have of to tell you. Time? Of all This might be my favorite of all Ooh. time, mainly because, okay, so look, I, I, I am a huge fan of Christmas. I absolutely adore this time of year. I am a Christmas fanboy. I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the weather. I love the snow. I love the gift-giving. I love the eating. I love the drink. I love everything about Christmas. So here's the thing. this and When I read this and I found this, I don't know how, but I found this, but I, but I found it. And it's just, not only is it a great this old marketing, but it's just a great story as well. So here's the, here's the story. So you, you remember Montgomery Ward, the, the department store? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Sure. So Montgomery Ward, the department store, um, in the very first part of the 20th century, um, they had a whole program that created children's books, and they created coloring books and children's books, especially around the holidays, to give out to parents to basically entice them to come in and shop. Wonderful content marketing program, even in and of itself, right? So a wonderful content marketing thing they were doing. They were creating all these free coloring books and free Christmas story books and song books and stuff to give to children to have them color either while their parents were shopping or even you know at home, et cetera, et cetera. And so great, wonderful content marketing thing. Well, so they were getting near the end of the Great Depression in 1939. They wanted to have a very special Christmas book that year. And they gave it to a guy by the name of Robert May. And he was a Montgomery Ward copywriter. So he basically was this guy who was a wonderful, wonderful copywriter, But unfortunately, his wife was really, really sick. She had been losing her battle with cancer, and she'd been bedridden for several years, actually. And he had all these medical bills and stuff like that and was really bad. But he was working for Montgomery Ward as this copywriter, and he ended up telling a little bit of a story of an ugly duckling story. And he happened to call it Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And he wrote this story about this misfit reindeer with a glowing red nose, and basically telling this wonderful story that we all know so wonderfully. And during the 1939 Christmas season, two and a, I mean, it went the basically the Great Depression era version of viral. Two and a half million copies of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer were distributed, handed out, given, and it just went crazy popular. His wife during this time passed away his wife died and he was of course had all these this mountain of medical bills and in the meantime rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is going off the charts and so uh basically he it the thing dies down doesn't happen for very much and you know of course montgomery ward goes on to do other things and he's still he's still working there and all that kind of stuff and But it starts to get a little momentum behind it, this Rudolph. And all of a sudden now there are people interested in doing songs and they're interested in doing, you know, taking a, and, re, and doing a cartoon and all this kind of stuff. And then a really magical, wonderful thing happened. Montgomery Ward gave Robert May the copyright to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as a gift, basically. And gave it to him. And he took it, and he had, he, is now, he had now since remarried and started a new family. And he started his new family with three children. And by 1947, he was able to secure um, and start to create songs. And uh, Max Fleischer created a cartoon, which, of course, then became another cartoon, well, the one we're all familiar with, with The Island of Misfit Toys. And, and Gene Autry did a, a single of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which sold two million copies in the first year. And one of the best selling songs of all time. And then of course NBC bought the rights to it, and he became very, very wealthy and a much had a much happier life based on this wonderful gift that Montgomery Ward had given him back basically in 1947. I just think it's a great story.
0: Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Where'd you find that? I found it, and we'll put the link in the show notes. I found it on this I, I you know, I, I was out there searching for Christmas stuff and I found this story it was like the history of Rudolph the Red Dozer I was like I'd never heard of the history of Rudolph the Red Dozer and I read this story in this link and you know I mean I haven't look I don't know how much of this is true or not you know this comes from a website so you know <laughs> buyer beware when you read this I don't know how much of it is actually true but if it's you know it's just a wonderful story and we'll put the link in the show notes which tells the entire story of the the history here and, um, and all of that it's just, it's just a great example well, I have no doubts it's true because it's on the internet. Yeah, of course. It's on and the internet. internet. Of course it's true. Yeah, Everything. There's an image and a URL and there's everything. Oh my it's There's goodness. words and it's actually all kinds of stuff. You know what they should do? If they really
0: wanted it to take off, they should put it on Medium.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, in the chips at sea, there's a new it, publication it, out it. and it's called Medium. And the Medium is 1947. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh anyway, so you have um, plans to stay at home with the family I here? Am, for, for I am Christmas? I am at
1: home, yes. Next week is all home, it's Christmas time, we're hanging out here. The reno is finally finished, we finally oh, don't have contractors that's running that's around great. the house. Yeah, so it's all good and so um and how about you? I mean I'm I'm assuming just, you know, Christmas with the family and yep, the kids Christmas and all that.
0: All around, you know, Sandusky, Cleveland, uh, various sites, uh we've got family coming here and, and wherever we need to go to to be around family, but of course we love this time of the year and as well. And looking forward to spending some time with the boys and and not traveling. And so it's good. It's good. Next two weeks are going to be fantastic. Yeah, so.
1: absolutely. I, I could not agree more. All right. Well, that. Merry is it. Christmas, my friend. And Merry Christmas to you, my friend. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, do ha- even though we're on a slow week here, you know, hashtag us up. You know, you're home for Christmas sitting around give us a few stories give us something to talk about send me a bottle of wine do something um, you know if you've got any questions of course send us an email thisoldmarketing at com hashtag thisoldmarketing if you're loving on the Twitter or the Medium or any of those kinds of platforms and if you liked this episode number 110 We hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about will be available in the show notes at thisoldmarketing.com, which of course comes out on Saturdays, but the show of course comes out on Monday evening. Until then, everybody, have a wonderful, merry, and joyous Christmas. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.